The following message is by Brother Doug Birch, Associate Pastor at North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. I consider it a great honor to be able to come before you today, uh, most especially because we started early and I almost get an hour. So I'm really happy about that. Um, no, all kidding aside, I always considered it an honor to uh, be before God's people and present His Word. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 33 today. Ezekiel chapter 33. This passage that uh, I started with a moment ago is in the middle of Babylonian captivity. And it's very fascinating to me the timing of um, this portion of the book of Ezekiel because Ezekiel was taken into captivity, um, not at the very first, but with King Jehoiachin about nine years later after the first group went out, about 597 B.C. The time frame here is actually given in verse 21 of this chapter that it was in the 12th year of his captivity. That would have been 585 B.C., which would have been a little bit after the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. It had been under siege and... um, uh, it had, <clears throat> word had finally gotten to Ezekiel. The timing, though, to me is fascinating because what we read in uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, 33, verse 7, is that God has set Ezekiel as a watchman. So the obvious question to me is, well, a watchman over what? I mean, they've already been defeated, and uh, they're in captivity. Now, some commentators deal with this by saying that the first few verses are actually what he said before, what happened before, along with Jeremiah, that uh, the Babylonians were coming. Some will say, well, this is really when they get back, you know, and they reestablish their kingdom. Okay, maybe. Everybody's got their opinion. I'm talking, so I'm going to give you mine. Um, I think that it's just right now. I mean, yes, Jeremiah was uh, trying to warn the people, probably Ezekiel, but he is thought to be Daniel's age, and Daniel's about 17 when he's brought into captivity. Here he would be about 28, 29. Um, But I don't have a problem with saying that he is set as a watchman now um, because of the timing that you see in verse 21. Now, if that's true, really, even if it isn't, whenever there is a watchman, whenever there is somebody who is looking out for danger, there's always a tendency of those who are, are trusting in the person that, well, maybe he's exaggerating. Maybe he's not saying what really is out there. And maybe whatever he is talking about doesn't pertain to me. And that's kind of what the passage was in the first few verses. I heard a story. It's kind of corny, but it fits the, the point that I'm trying to make, so I'm going to share it with you. There was this farm. And on this farm, there was this farmhouse, and then there was a barn. In this barn, there lived a mouse, and there also lived a chicken, and a pig, and a cow. The mouse kind of had the run of the place, because he could kind of get in and out. So one day, he calls the chicken, and the pig, and the cow together. He says, I just want you to know, Farmer Brown has bought a mousetrap. 
Well, the chicken and the pig and the cow kind of looking at each other and they couldn't look looking back at him and said, well, so what does that have to do with us? You're the mouse. He said, I just want you to know Farmer Brown has bought a mouse trap. Well, a little bit later, Miss Brown comes into the barn. She didn't realize that Farmer Brown set the trap. And before she went in there, a snake got caught up in that trap. A small snake, but it was a poisonous snake. He wasn't dead yet, so she comes in there to feed the chicken and gather the eggs. Well, she gets bit by this snake, and she falls ill. She goes into the house, and, of course, Farmer Brown tries to do what he can to help Mrs. Brown. and says, well, any, anything that I can do for you? You know, she's kind of a, you know, uh, I can take care of this and kind of a stout uh, character. said, no, but what I really want is some chicken soup. And so Farmer Brown goes into the barn and gets the chicken, kills the chicken, plucks the chicken, boils the chicken up, makes some chicken soup for Mrs. Brown. Well, he's got to get back to work. He can't really tend to Mrs. Brown, so he calls her friends. They come over to tend to Mrs. Brown. Well, he thinks, well, I've got to do something for these ladies. I've got to have something for them to eat, so he goes to get the pig. And he kills the pig, fixes it for them, all the trimmings, those kinds of things. Well, sadly, Mrs. Brown succumbed to her injuries and she died. Well, they're planning a funeral. And after the funeral, there's a lot of people that are coming to Farmer Brown's house. And so he's kind of thinking, well, I've got to have something to feed these people. So he goes into the barn, he gets the cow and he kills the cow. So he has something to feed all the people that are coming. A little bit later, the mouse comes walking through the barn and he says, I tried to tell him. Farmer Brown bought a mouse trap. Now, I know that's a corny story, but it illustrates the point. A lot of the time when somebody's trying to warn us of impending danger, we might say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, that's somebody else. That has nothing to do with what I'm trying to do. And so we ignore it. I believe that that is possibly a case here with Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7, he said, O son of man, I have set you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Now, again, as I say, stated, some deal with this by saying, well, this was a time before the Babylonian captivity because it doesn't really pertain to what they're experiencing now. Before we get into that, I want to jump ahead to kind of set uh, the record so that you understand why I'm saying that he probably is talking about right now. After he says all this, and we'll go, we'll go back through it here in just a moment, but if you go to uh, verse 21, it says, It came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, in the fifth day of the month, that one that had escaped out of, the, out of Jerusalem came to me, saying, The city is smitten. Now, if we look on a timeline, we can see that in 586, Nebuchadnezzar had laid siege to the city. Now, he had already attacked it, and he brought... Uh, a first group out, and then a second group out, 
And then in 586, it was the third group, and he destroyed their temple. Obviously, somebody escaped. Some people did. This person, it takes him a, a year, a little over a year, to probably sneak into Babylon to find Ezekiel to tell him of the destruction. And it says in verse 22, The hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening afore that he was escaped came, and it opened my mouth until he came to me in the morning. And my mouth was open, and I was no more dumb. At this time, we're given in this verse that Ezekiel had been silenced by God, probably so that God could instruct him, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to behave before my people. This is how I need you to get across to my people the warning that I'm giving them. But at this point, God allows him to speak, and he is conversing with this person who has escaped this siege. Verse 23, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying, Abraham was one, and he inherited the land, but we are many, the land is given us for inheritance. So what had happened is, Nebuchadnezzar came in, defeated them, carried them out, three different um, deportations. Some people escaped, either by hiding in, in caves or something like that, going into the woods. But now they've come back, and they have arrogantly stated, because God, Abraham was one person, and God gave him all of this land. We're many. Now the land is given to us for an inheritance. Now remember, though, God allowed this to happen for judgment. And so it wasn't right for them to say, well, the judgment doesn't pertain to us. We've got this blessing. Now this land belongs to us. And so now remember, Ezekiel is in Babylonian captivity. Verse 25 says, Wherefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Ye eat with the blood, and lift up your eyes toward your idols, and shed blood, and shall ye possess the land? And ye stand upon your sword, and ye work abomination, and ye defile every one his neighbor's wife, and shall ye possess the land? Say thou thus unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, As I live, surely they that are in the wastes shall fall by the sword, and him that is in the open field will I give to the beast to be devoured. And they that be in the forts and in the caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease. And the mountains of Israel shall be desolate, that none shall pass through. Then shall they know that I am the Lord, when I have laid the land most desolate, because of all their abominations which they have committed. That time frame is... In 586, thereabouts. And if God can use a prophet who is in exile to speak to those who are still in the land of Israel and set him up as a watchman for them, because remember, they claimed, hey, the land is ours. Abraham was one person. We're many. He got the land. Now this is our land. But they were actually living against God's purposes. And so God says, now, who do you think you are? You're living like you want. You're idol worshipers. You're committing adultery. You live completely apart from me. And you think you're going to possess the land? And he says, no, you're not. 
I will find you. I will destroy you. And so again, if Ezekiel can be a watchman, somebody who is warning people when he is thousands of miles away in Babylon to a people who think they've gotten away from judgment. Personally, I don't see a problem with Ezekiel being a watchman for the people who are in exile because they're closer. I, I realize that the analogy is the wall. I think that's what people are uh, maybe influenced by because obviously uh, Jerusalem was defeated. Now let's go back and look in Ezekiel 33 verse 1. It says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he sees the sword come upon the land, and he blows a trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet and takes not warning, if the sword come, and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. So in this time period, you've got walled villages, walled cities. And so to protect your people, you would end the wall, you would set up a watchman. You would set somebody here that he would look out for an advancing army. And if he sees the advancing army, he blows the trumpet. And they know what the trumpet is. They know based on whatever it was that he was going to sound, danger's coming. Now there's likely going to be people who are going to say, oh, well, that's just Ezekiel again. Or that's just somebody else. He's just saying this, you know, fear monger. Doing this, doing that, saying this, saying that, just to get us to come to the wall. He says, if somebody is placed in this tower to warn the people, and if he sees danger, if he, hears the if he sounds the trumpet and people hear it, but don't take warning, they're responsible for their own deaths. Because, verse 5, he heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. That is, he's responsible for his own death. But if the watchman, uh, I mean, but he that takes warning shall deliver his own soul. Those that listen to the watchman and say, hey, danger's coming, and they do whatever they need to do, either defend the city or uh, take cover or something, they deliver their own lives because they listened to the watchman. But if the watchman sees the sword come and blows not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. Now, that's interesting because he says, I'm going to hold the watchman accountable he is going to be guilty because he didn't warn the people of the danger. But if somebody is taken, they die in their own iniquity. Whether or not we're warned from impending danger, yes, God will hold those accountable who he sets up as leaders. But if we succumb to those who are wanting to hurt us. We suffer. We die in our own sins. We die in our own iniquity. That is, we're accountable to God no matter who we are. 
But he says, I will require at the watchman's hand his blood. He will be responsible. And then he says to Ezekiel, so thou, you, O son of man, I have set you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Now he goes into a little bit greater detail in verse 8. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou, do, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. So Ezekiel, I will hold you responsible. Now this person will die in his iniquity. But I will hold you responsible for not warning him that danger is coming. Nevertheless, Ezekiel, if you warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. I will not hold you accountable, Ezekiel, because you saw the danger and you warned the people. And if the people ignored you, that isn't your fault. They will die in their iniquity, but you've delivered your own soul, Ezekiel. Therefore, verse 10, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus you speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? So the question there is this. When Ezekiel speaks to the children of Israel, now, yes, if he said it before, just like Jeremiah did, that's relevant. If he's going to say it after Babylonian captivity, that's relevant. But just because they're in captivity, just because they're in exile, doesn't mean it's free time. You know, God's not holding me accountable for anything. You know, we're in captivity here. No, God still holds them accountable. He still requires that they live for him, even in a foreign land. So he says... If you speak to the people and they understand that they're still responsible, still accountable for their transgressions, the result that I want them to reach is that if through our transgressions and our sins, if they're on us and we pine away in them, that, that is if we just keep going like, doesn't matter now, we've already lost to the Babylonians, we're in captivity, we're in a foreign land, we can't go to church, it doesn't matter how I live. I want them to actually come to the opposite conclusion. How shall we live before God? If we ignore our lifestyles, if we ignore the fact that we are accountable to God, no matter what, the conclusion God says I want them to reach is, how could I live if I just pine away in my sins? How could I expect a righteous God to be okay with the way that I'm living just because I'm not in the homeland? Verse 11 says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die? O house of Israel. Yes, we serve a righteous God. A God who will judge 
sin. But God gets no pleasure in that. God rather gets pleasure when we see our wickedness and we turn from it. And we begin to live for Him. That's what God derives pleasure from. Therefore thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his, his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turns from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sins. Now, what does that all mean? I can't just live for God day after day after day after day and say, okay, today's a freebie. I don't have to adhere to my strict diet. I can just cheat. You can't treat God that way. That's why he says, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. You can't say, but God, look at, look at all the time that I live for you here. And in this day, just live like the devil. God says that, that doesn't give you a free time. That doesn't give you a free day to just do whatever you want. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turns from his wickedness. That's the mercy of God. The people that just live. Now, yes, we set things in motion. We do when we live like the devil. But in that wickedness, if we turn from that wickedness and live for the Lord, God says through Ezekiel to his people, as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turns from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sins. So that's, I'm looking at what you're doing right now, God says. Don't just say, but, but, but yesterday, Lord, Reminds me of work. I'm in retail. I'm in sales. You know how the boss is always, come on, let's, let's you know, make the sale. Let's go. And I, but I just sold all that. But what have you done for me now? That's what he always says. Makes me so angry when he says that. But that's, what are, what are you doing right now? It doesn't matter yesterday. What are you doing right now? And so... What the Lord is trying to say to the righteous, don't think that your good ways give you a free day to sin and do whatever you want. But neither those that are sinning and, and living wickedly don't think that it's too late to come to God. That's what he's saying. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, all his righteousnesses shall not be remembered. Oh, God said, because I am such a righteous dude, I can go on. No, because now I'm lifted up in pride. Your righteousnesses will not be remembered. But for his iniquity that he has committed, he shall die for it. Again, what I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. If he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, 
walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. You see? Yes, God is a, is a righteous God, a holy God who cannot look upon iniquity. But he is also a God of mercy. And he is a God with outstretched arms waiting and willing to receive all who would come to him in humility, seeking forgiveness. Verse 16 says, None of his sins that he has committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. Now, we might look at this the way that God anticipates the people of Ezekiel's time to look at this and say, well, that just doesn't sound right. Verse 17, Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, God says, Their way is not equal. Well, what is equality? It's whatever God says it is. And if God in His sovereign will wants to extend mercy upon one who turns to Him perhaps in his final days, that's God's prerogative. And God also is right if he chooses to judge those who live in iniquity even after many years of living righteously. You know, we, we don't store up free time. We don't, we don't store up goodness and, and, and just have a cheat day. It doesn't work that way. So he says, when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he will die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. And so again, we go back into the time setting there that sets the stage of when I believe this is happening. And so again, I don't have a problem because Ezekiel is set as a watchman to warn the people that are still in Israel who had escaped the Babylonians, to warn them, you've not gotten away from God. God will still hold you accountable. To me, it is not a leap of faith to say that he's still a watchman today and that even though that they do, they're not in their homeland and they don't have this wall around them uh, protecting Jerusalem, uh, Ezekiel is still set there to be a warning to them. Well, how do we apply this? We're not in Babylon. We're not in Jerusalem. We're not in the Old Testament. This church has a rich history of warning. Many years ago, and I, I think 91, something like that, uh, when the first landmark lectures were given at Southwest and Angela and I joined Southwest, I think a week or two after that, I didn't, I wasn't in attendance at that first set of lectures, but I got the tapes, you know, and watched them and listened to them, the VHS, that was way before MP3, MP4, all that kind of stuff. And I remember through the years as a young preacher attending a lot of these lectures and, and hearing um, all of these men 
which really that and seminary training and, and, and a lot of other men that God put in my life to just give me a firm foundation as to what's right and, and to what's dangerous. And I'm so thankful for that. I, I, I know. I mean, back then I thought, oh, wow, this is going to cause a split, you know. I remember talking to the preachers about it, what's going to happen, you know. And, and some people, yeah, it's this, this going to be bad, you know. And um, it didn't happen that way. Yet, uh, I think it still caused a lot of preachers. I know a lot of preachers my age because, uh, you know, we were all uh, went into seminary and uh, going to these lectures and listening to all this. And I mean, because so, sometimes you would hear things and say, well, what's wrong with that? That doesn't really, that's not really harmful. But to hear somebody else say things um, really uh, has been a blessing to me over the years. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You know, you come here and you hear Brother Matt preach, and you say, oh, yeah, well, he's just preaching somebody else today. That doesn't really pertain to me. Yes, it does. It's for all of us. We need, now, I don't want to hear that, that there's no hope for me, but I need to hear that I'm a sinner and that I need to turn to God even now. We all need to hear that. And God has set pastors and leaders in churches in a position to warn us of danger, things that will harm us, things that will divide us. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be watching for that. And again, I'm so thankful for this rich history that we have in this church it has been said uh, a few times, not a few times in the last few months, that North Bryant, man, we're, we're just right there. As far as sound doctrine, we cannot be challenged. We're just right there. But none of us anticipated COVID-19. There I said it. it it's... It's so polarizing because we all have all of our own opinions, don't we? You know, you have your opinions. You think you're right. I have my opinion. And I know I'm right. That's right. We do. We, we just, we, we're so focused on what we truly believe is the right way to go, how to handle this, how to do this. Never have I seen such uh, a difference of opinion among God's people. Division. It's not, it's not so much the coronavirus, you know, that is alarming to me. Yes, I, it's real. It's real. I understand that. But it is what it's doing to God's people or perhaps what we're allowing it to do to God's people. That's alarming to me. 
If ever there was an institution on God's earth that is essential, it's God's New Testament church. And when I see government say, well, this place is essential, that abortion clinic's essential, Home Depot, Lowe's, very essential, churches, eh, that's alarming to me. They say, oh, Brother Doug, that's not here. I'm just trying to say the devil's got a mousetrap. And I think that we're foolish if we can't see that. Um, I, you know, I'm not trying to open a can of worms, maybe just a little one. But uh, I, I just, I want us to be aware that we need to be watching for things that can divide us. Now, doctrine, yeah, we're, we're on the same page, we're on the same paragraph, and in the same word. But in this other area, I think we're on the same page, but we're definitely on different paragraphs. Now, we may never be exactly in agreement, but let us understand. Can we agree that the devil wants to destroy our churches? I think he does. You know, we can also agree that, but, but God has promised, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. But listen to me, that does not guarantee that North Bryant will survive. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I just want us to understand the potential because we know what the devil wants. Well, let's go all the way to the end, Revelation. Now, we know what's coming. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, Woe, listen to this, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows he has but a short time. The devil hates you and me. He said, well, yeah, but that's future. We're already in heaven. Okay, I'll grant you that. But this tells us the game plan. This tells us what the devil wants to do. He wants to destroy us. He wants to divide us any way that he can. And brethren, we should not be ignorant of what he's trying to do. Paul tried to tell the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he was talking about obedience. He's talking about obeying, for them to obey him and what he was saying. They had... Uh, they had um, uh, disciplined a member, but they needed need also to grant forgiveness. Notice what he says in that context, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan 
should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Anything Satan can use, listen, he'll use it. He can't get very far with doctrine. I understand that because we're right on the same page like I said a while ago. We have a rich history of defending landmark doctrines. But whatever he has in his toolbox, he's going to use. And I think as I look around... Because I, I, I go around, I, I preach at other churches, I see how other people are dealing with this. And um, what alarms me the most is that the potential division this could cause. Something that just blindsided me. I, I never saw anything like this coming. And so, you know, we're told we shouldn't be surprised. We're told the birth pangs, the beginnings of sorrows, wars, rumors of wars, disease, pestilence, earthquakes. All these things are, are going to come to pass. They're going to get worse, especially if we're in the time of the end. I mean, look at, I mean, this is just worldwide. And then you've got peace happening in the Middle East where people said, no, nah, that'll never happen. Not without the Palestinians. Well, is that the peace tree? I don't think so, but man, it sure is gearing up to be. So in that sense, I'm a little excited because I know where I'm going when I die. Now, I would, I would just as soon go in the rapture, and I think you would too. But until the Lord calls us home or until he comes back to get us, let's stay focused on him. And let's long for the time and pray for the time when all of us, all of us can come back together without any fear, health-wise, without any encumbrances, and we can get back to doing what God has called us to do, be witnesses for Him. We have a message of salvation for a lost and dying world. The world's going berserk. A lot of people, oh, this is it. This is the end. Maybe it's getting close. But if we know the Lord as Savior, this isn't the end, really. We're just changing places. That's nothing to be frightened about. Well, let's stay together. Because we truly are in this together. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for the time that you give us to study your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can be encouraged by reading your word. And though there are things that we may not see eye to eye on, Lord, we know that what draws us together, what ties us together is so much stronger than any other opinion, any other thing, and that is your saving grace. Lord, we thank you so much for your salvation. We thank you that when we leave this life that we go to be with you. We thank you that 
we go to be with you for all of eternity. Help us, Lord, to be focused on this in this very difficult time. Lord, be with our pastor. Heal him. Bring him back to us. Help us, Lord, to be focused completely on you. Help us to be praying for one another. Help us, Lord, to try to understand one another's point of view and with loving kindness to be respectful of one another. Help us, Lord, not to be ignorant of Satan's devices that he seeks to use to drive us apart. Help us, Lord, to be focused completely on you. We know that as we're focused on you, we will be stronger in the end of this. We know, Lord, that this is not the end, that even though this is a difficult time, other things may come our way that are even perhaps more troubling. We know that Satan is seeking to divide. We know that he's seeking to destroy. And as, cer as certainly as time draws closer to his demise, he will increase in fervor to try to divide us. Lord, help us to be strong. Help us to be united. Help us to be focused on you. Help us to be praying for each other. Forgive us in the times that we failed you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray you were encouraged by today's message from the Word of God. This sermon audio is available for free on all major podcast formats, as well as our website at northbryantbaptist.org. Thank you for listening.